I'm Bishop Sherman Young. Each week, the Word Break podcast answers questions about God, faith, and other spiritual issues. Here is this week's message. Reach over next till you get somebody by the hand on both sides. God, we love you today. We honor and praise your precious and wonderful name. You are wonderful. More than tongue can tell or testimony can provide. We thank you today because you are wonderful. As we pray together today, we cast all of our cares on you. For the word of God says you care for us. And it says if we cast all of our burdens on you, you sustain us. We thank you that goodness and mercy follows us all the days of our lives. And they do so today, here and now. In Jesus' name. And all the people will say praise the Lord. James chapter 1. James chapter 1. I want to talk to you today about what is patience. And I'd like to do that from James chapter 1. What is patience? The backdrop of this writing is most interesting. First of all, James is the Lord's brother. He is the son of Mary and Joseph. Although Jesus is known to us as the Son of God and through Mary, his mother, James is one of the brothers of the Lord Jesus. Next of all, it's interesting to note that the time of his writing was one of great pain and persecution for those who were believers in the Lord. They had a Jewish background, but they were Christians now. And because of their uh, following Christ, they were being persecuted. Hebrews chapter 11 is that verse, where that verse is located, where we talk about faith. And faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. At the end of that chapter, it outlines for us some of what these people went through. Hebrews 11 says that because of their faith, many of them were cut in half with the sword, beheaded, dragged through the streets, and fed to ferocious animals. Well, James is writing survivors, people that had watched their friends, relatives, their elders, pastors, killed because of their faith. He's writing to people who were experienced in pain and experienced in problems. Every night they would go to bed wondering would they be raided through the night and killed before daybreak. The church was driven underground. They couldn't have open services like this. They had secret services in bedrooms and basements, caves, wherever they could get together and sing and pray. And James writes them this letter of encouragement. 
What do you say to people who don't know whether they'll even be around next Sunday or not? Verse 3, verse 2, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Hear it again. My brethren, count it all joy. Count the persecution as joy. Count your fears as joy. Count your pain as joy. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Obviously, the reading of this word, the trials that we go through have something to do with developing patience in us. Well, what is patience? Let's talk about that. He says that the perfecting work that needs to be done in us as believers is a work called patience. Now, we understand patience as waiting. We understand it as waiting on an appointment, waiting on a friend, waiting on a family member waiting on a promotion on the job, waiting on a phone call to confirm being hired, waiting on age 65 so we can retire, age 66 so that we can draw Social Security. We understand patience as waiting, but that is not the definition of patience in this verse. That is one type of patience where I'm waiting on a fish to bite the line, or I'm waiting on a taxi cab or Uber to pick me up, or I'm waiting until I can be transferred to another department, or I'm waiting until my son or daughter comes home from school. That's not patience in this verse. That's a different type of patience. The word patience here is steadfastness. It is constancy or it is endurance. So when we read this verse, we can alter it a bit. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Would you say endurance? You see, we get a little confused here when we read the word patience and we know what we interpret patience to be and we can't really understand why James would say that trials produce or strengthen patience. What am I waiting on? And somebody would say, well, I'm waiting on the Lord. But it's deeper than waiting. This patience has to do with endurance. It has to do with being strong. That the testing of your faith strengthens us. The testing of our faith hardens us. The testing of our faith builds us up. The testing of our faith edifies us and gives us constancy. 
we see this word, it is really the word sustenia or sustentia. Sustentia is used in 1 Thessalonians 1 and 3 where Paul talks about endurance. It is also used in James chapter 5 verse 11. You remember James 5 11, James says, you've heard of the patience of Job. But what he's talking about is the endurance of Job. That in order for us to be complete, mature in the Lord, in order for us to be adult in the Lord, we've got to have patience or endurance. He wants you to know that going through changes and problems and storms is going to be a part of life. But it's how we handle the problem and the storm that determines our walk with God. So, sustentia means the characteristic of a man who is unswerved from his deliberate purpose. It has to do with his loyalty to faith, even in the hardest trials and the hardest suffering. That as a believer, I must learn how to handle the tests. Now, we've got it a little twisted in our generation as Christians. We think that God is here to get us out of trouble or that God is here to help us avoid the problems. But according to what we read in James chapter 1, God makes full use of our problems in order to build our patience. That rather than God swoop in like Superman or come along like underdog or snatch us out of our trouble like a black panther, what God is really about is making sure that we are trained up so that we can reign with him. That means we've got to know how to be talked about. We've got to know how to be hated on. We've got to know how to be rejected. We've got to know how to suffer. We've got to know how to carry on and carry through without giving up, without giving back, without standing back, without retaliation. We've got to know how to take the pain. We've got to know how to take the licking and keep on ticking. As believers, we have to know not only that trouble is going to come, but when it comes, I know in advance how I'm going to deal with it. I know. I know that trouble is coming. I know that trial is coming. I know that problems are coming. I know that difficulty is coming. And when it comes, I know that I'm ready. Some people announce in advance that they can't handle much. They let you know. Well, you know, I, I, I'm, a, I'm weak when it comes to that. Or, or I can't stand much. Or I can't handle much. Or I, I don't know why everybody gets so excited. I, I can't stand confusion. But you have to understand that walking with God means that God is going to keep testing our faith until it grows strong enough to hold us through the storm. God is going to keep testing our faith until we welcome the opposition until we look challenge in the face and stare it down. God is going to build us up to the point that we can resist all of the works of the devil and all of the works of the enemies that we have and all of the problems that we have in everyday life. 
God cannot use a coward. God cannot bless a coward. God will not respond to a coward's prayer. But what God will do is build us up so we can handle life as we should. Some people run to God cowardly, in tears, asking God for help. Well, what does he do at that point? Recognize, he recognizes that we need more testing. And so you will find yourself going through the same type of problem over and over again. Why? You said, I don't understand why this always happens to me. Why does it always happen to me? Because you don't know how to handle it. And the reason it keeps happening is because, listen, you can be very strong in your Christian walk on one side, but very weak on the other side. You can be strong in church attendance and worship. You can be strong in your giving. You can be strong when it comes to your prayer or your prayer habit. You can be strong with reading verses of the Bible every day, but you can be weak when it comes to problems in your family. You can be weak when it comes to problems in finances. You can be weak when it comes to problems having to do with everyday situations. So the testing of our faith builds us up and develops patience in us. There is a word called juxtaposition. Juxtaposition is a contrast between concepts. It actually comes from a Latin word that means side by side. It is to put things beside one another that have totally different meanings. Now we use juxtapositions all the time. Uh, you ever heard anybody say what's good for the goose is good for the gander? That's a juxtaposition because a goose is a goose and a gander is a gander. They're different sexes, but you put them side by side as a comparison. When it rains, it pours. That's juxtaposition because every time it rains, it doesn't pour, but it has to do with the outpouring of rain. All is there in love and war. That's juxtaposition. You're putting two opposites side by side. You ever heard anybody say, well, it's better late than never. That's just a position. Or people say, now beggars can't be choosers. Or people will say, you're making a mountain out of a molehill. Two opposites side by side. You can't teach an old dog new tricks. That's juxtaposition. That's putting two opposites side by side. Look at the cross where Jesus dies for our sins is full of juxtapositions. At the cross, there is law and grace. There is judgment and love. There is guilt and innocence. There is servanthood and lordship. All of those are paradoxes. All of those are opposite, but they're at the cross. When James says, count it all joy, that's a juxtaposition. How do you count something joy when it hurts you? How do you count something joy when you can't sleep at night? How do you count it all joy when they're suing you every time you turn around? How do you count it all joy? How do you take your problems and celebrate them? 
There's one translation that says, count it completely joy. There's another translation that says, be happy when these things happen. How can I be happy and suffer at the same time? Well, the truth is that God allows the trouble to come, but not for me to suffer, but so that I can learn how to celebrate. You see, if you can't shout when things are hard on you, your shout ain't worth too much when things are good for you. In church today, people say God is good after they talk about some breakthrough they got. So in a testimony meeting, somebody will stand up and say, I didn't have a car, but praise God, I got a car now. God is good. But baby, God was good when you were walking. God was good when your other car wasn't running. God, you don't measure the goodness of God because you got something that you've been wanting. God is good all the time. I wish I had a witness. Because God is good all the time, I got to be careful that I don't reserve my praise for a time of breakthrough. I have to learn to praise God when I don't see the breakthrough coming. I have to learn to praise God in the doctor's office when the doctor gives me news I don't want to hear. I have to learn how to praise God when I get a letter in the mail that I wasn't looking for. I have to learn how to praise God when there's death in my family or bereavement in my house. I have to learn how to praise God and say hallelujah anyhow no matter what the circumstance. But today's church is a church that celebrates God based on whether they feel good or not. But the old church, I wish I had some help. The old church that taught us how to pray, taught us how to praise, taught us how to sing. They didn't have half as much as what we've got, but they shouted every time they came to the house of God. They would shout in the devotion service. They would shout in the preaching service. They would shout in the song service. They didn't shout because they had good cars. They didn't shout because they had fine clothes. They didn't shout because they had pockets full of money. They didn't shout because they had a debit card. They didn't shout because they had a credit card. They shouted because of who God was. You don't shout because God brought you through. You shout because God is God. And because God is God, you're on schedule to be brought through. Whether he's brought you through yet or not, the shout goes before the breakthrough. So count it all joy. Would you just bump somebody, elbow them or slap them and say, count it all joy. You see, every problem known to man is in this room right now. There's disease in this room right now. Somebody in this room right now has sickness in their body and they know about it. Others have sickness and they don't even know about it. Somebody in this room right now is so broke until you don't have enough money to get a happy meal after church is over today. In this room right now. Somebody had a fight last night or this morning, and when you get back in the car, it's going to start up again. Somebody is on the verge of telling somebody else to kick rocks, get out. I don't ever want to see you no more long as I live. If I ever breathe another breath, I hope you're not in front of me. 
Every problem known to mankind is in this room somewhere. That's a part of living on this earth. What is our response to be? You know, I often wondered why this generation, when they come to church, they got to have something to stimulate their shout. I mean, the organ got to hit a certain tone on the Leslie. Or the singers got to sing a certain song. That's my song. Or the preacher got to read a certain text. Oh, yeah, that's my favorite verse. Or the preacher's got to turn his voice in a certain direction. Listen, we've got to learn that we enter into the gates with thanksgiving and into the courts with praise. We don't come in here and wait on a moment or wait on a crescendo or wait on some elevation of somebody's voice. We come here with a mind to praise the Lord because we know that all of our help comes from the Lord. So there are three categories, juxtaposition. You, you need a, a yet faith. Somebody say yet. Uh -uh, say, say a yet faith. Oh, you don't wait until the breakthrough. You know what Job said in 1425? He said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Though he slay me. He didn't say God would slay him. He said, but if it gets to that point, he said, if, if my helper turns his back on me, I'll still praise him behind his back. I, I wish I had some. <laughs> some people say, well, pastor, I prayed and I still didn't get what I wanted. I, I, I prayed and they still, my baby is still sick. I, I prayed. And, and my grandmama still died. I, I pray, Pastor, I thought if I prayed, God would change the situation. You know why people think that? Because somebody in church said prayer changes things. No, prayer doesn't always change things. But prayer always changes the person who prays. Prayer is not designed to change things. Prayer is designed to strengthen my relationship with God. The Bible said that Jesus taught when you pray, your heavenly father already knows what things you have need of. So when you're talking to God, don't think you're giving him an update. You can't update God. But what you can do is strengthen your walk with him so that whether the baby gets well or stays sick, whether or not grandmama dies, whether or not you lose your car or your house, your relationship with God is strong enough for you to keep the faith and keep moving on. Yet, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Who said that? A strong, healthy, young man? Who said that? A man that goes to the gym every day? Who said that? A man with wealth that's been able to Donald Trump his way through life? Who said that? You know who said that? A man that used to be wealthy, but he lost all of his money. A man that had 10 children, but they all died in the same tornado. Who said that? A man that had a wife 
And she said, you ought to curse God and die. Who said that? A man that had boils from head to toe. But what did he say? Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Somebody say, a yet faith. But then we need a but if not faith. Daniel chapter 3 tells the story of three young men. They were handsome young men. They were fit and muscular. They were geniuses, according to the Bible. You could see the favor of God on them. But King Nebuchadnezzar took them because they wouldn't bow down in idolatrous worship. He took them and threw them in a fiery furnace. What did they say before they went in the furnace? Nebuchadnezzar said, you need to worship the gods that I provide. They said, no, we won't do that. He said, either you worship these gods or we're going to put you in a fiery furnace. They said, no, we won't do that. He said, why won't you do it? They said, because our God is able. Does anybody know? God is able. Oh, I'm looking for somebody. Does anybody know? What is he able to do? The word said he's able to do exceedingly and abundantly. Above all, you ask a thing. Let me ask y'all, what is he able to do? Watch this. Is he able to heal you? How do you know? Yeah. Is he able to get you out of financial oppression? How do you know? <laughs> is he able to get you out of pain and tears and insomnia where you can't sleep through the night? How do you know? You know how we know God is able? Because he did it for me. And if we had testimony service right now, we would all find out that God is able to do what we didn't even know he was able to do because he never had to do it for us. He's able. Somebody say God is able. No, I need 10 more people say God is able. No, I need 25 more people say God is able. Well, we could shout right there. But they didn't stop talking. They said, but if not. Now, but is a contravening conjunction that turns an about face to statements thoughts or concepts when you said but it means you were headed right but you turned left it, it means you were going north but you turned south but it's a it's a turnaround phrase come on come on weeping may endure for night but joy comes in the morning even the youth shall faint and be weary. And young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. The Bible said in Acts chapter 12 that that night Peter was kept in prison. But prayer was offered to God by the church in Peter's behalf. How many know that God can step in with a but? They said, our God is able to deliver us from your fiery 
furnace. But if not, hold on. You, you know, you, I wish I could guarantee that God would get you out of fire. But you know, fire helps a believer. In California, there are redwood trees. The redwood tree, the trunk of it, is larger than this building. They are the tallest trees in the world. Have you ever wondered why California is known for forest fires? From Northern Cal to Southern Cal, they're forest fires. And sometimes they just break out on their own. You know how those redwood trees get so wide and so tall, 200 feet in the air. When the fire burns, it burns the, the bark on the tree. And the tree, the way God built the tree, that makes the trees grow taller. You know how Californians grow tall redwoods? They set the tree on fire. I'm going to find a witness in a minute. Fire is good for the Christian because the Bible said, you shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. What did Jesus say? You will know the tree by the fruit it bears. Listen, the only way to grow tall, you got to have some fire around you. You got to have some fire on you. You got to have some fire at the foot that causes you to reach higher where you say, Father, I stretch my hand to thee. I say fire is good for the Christian. Who is it that wrote that beautiful song? In shaded green pastures so rich and sweet, God leads his dear children along. Where the cool water bathes the weary one's feet, God leads his dear children along. Some through the fire, some through the flood, some through the water, but all through the blood. Listen, the fire burns so we can grow tall. One more thing. There are two kinds of fire. There's the fire that makes you grow. And there's the fire that makes you glow. Let me try it again. There's the fire that makes me grow. But then there's the fire that makes me glow. G-L-O-W. You said, but what fire is that? Well, Jeremiah talks about it. Jeremiah said the word of God is like fire set up in my bones. The book of Acts says on the day of Pentecost they were all in one place and there was a sound from heaven and then there was a fire that set upon each of them. The Holy Ghost is fire. Now the fire in my life helps me to grow. But the fire of the Holy Ghost helps me to glow. 
I don't want, I don't want you anymore to sing this little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine. Rube, I want us to change the wording. Said this big light of mine. I'm going to let it shine. Because I don't want nothing little. And God won't give you nothing little. If God gives you something that's bigger than you can handle. And this big light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Because the fire makes me glow. 1970-71, I'm a little boy. It's revival time at Baptist home. My father sends for his nephew to come and preach. Reverend Leslie Cross from Worcester, Ohio. Reverend Cross brought his wife Ruth with him. And he said, before I preach, Ruth is going to sing a solo. And Ruth got up and she sang, first time I ever heard it in my life as a little kid. She said, what is this? Make folks say I'm acting strange. What is this? Make me love to call God's name. Whatever it is, it won't let me hold my peace. She said, it makes me love my enemies. And it makes me love my friends. And it won't let me be ashamed to let the world know I've been born again. You know what it is? It's the Holy Ghost. But if not, somebody said, but if not. Uh-uh, uh-uh. Repeat after me. I ask the Lord for a blessing. But if not. Uh, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Come on, say, I desire a change at some places in my life, but if not, see, minister, I don't appreciate saints that shout in season. You got to learn how to shout out of season. I wish I had a witness here. You, you, you see, one reason I can't stay away from the church is because to me, church is shouting headquarters. Now you'd look foolish paying your light bill and start shouting in Alabama power. You'd look foolish standing out waiting on the city bus to pick you up. And while at the bus stop, you start shouting. You look foolish sitting in the waiting room at the doctor's office or in the courtroom and all of a sudden in front of the judge, you say, hallelujah. But oh, when I come here, I don't care who's looking at me. I don't care if I tear my clothes. I don't care if the heel come off my shoes. I don't care if I shake my hair loose. I don't care if my mascara runs. God is worthy. He's worthy of my clothes being torn. He's worthy of my shoe coming off. He's worthy of my wig getting loose. God is worthy. But if not... 
I'm going to count it all joy. I'm through. Somebody said, but if not. But there's one more faith. It's called even now. Even now. Even now. You remember when Lazarus died, Mary and Martha sent for Jesus to come. Lord, the one you love is sick. But by the time Jesus got there, he had died. And they buried him in the tomb. You know, in those days, sometimes people would go into a coma. And the coolness of the tomb would revive them in about three days. That's why Jesus came on the fourth day. To make sure that they didn't get it twisted. They want nobody to leave waiting there and tell a lie. And said Lazarus was already alive. He was just comatose. No, Jesus came walking in. Have you ever had him to come walking in? When you thought it was too late. When folk told you, you just got to live with it. But he came walking in. And you know what the sisters said to Jesus? Lord, we love you. We know that you got power. That's why we sent for you. But Lord, he was living when we sent for you. But listen to what she said. But Martha said, but we know. Even now. You got to have an even now faith. I don't care how many years you've been dealing with what you've been dealing with. I don't care how long your troubles have been going on. Even now, he's able to change the situation. Somebody said, but preacher, I've learned how to live with it. I've learned how to be settled. But I want to tell you, it's never too late for God. If you've been sick for 38 years at the pool of Bethesda, it's never too late for God. If you were born blind, like the man in John 9, Jesus still healed his sight. And if you're like Lazarus, you've been down so long, until you're stinking in this situation. But Jesus uh, is still able, even now. You know why I counted all joy? All right, I'm going to close my tablet. I'm ready. Are you ready now? Well, come on, let's go. Somebody say, yes. Even though it's been a long time, he's able to change the situation. He's able to open the doors closing your face. He's able to shut down your enemies even though they celebrated and laughed at your downfall. But even now, he's able, even now, I'll count it all joy. Say yes!
witness. Do I have anybody here that knows even now he can heal me? Even now he can deliver me? Even now can anybody say yes? Come on, stand up. Come on, stand up. Come on, stand up. I want you to shake somebody's hand and say, even now, it's not too late. I want you to walk across the aisle. Tell somebody, even now, it's not too late. I want you to shake somebody's hand you hadn't talked to today and said, I want you to know even now, 